Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This episode of Silent Giants is brought to you by Ali. Ali, powered by Verizon locations, are developed by Verizon, the world's leading technology company. In collaboration with Ali, a membership-only community workspace for creators. Each location is a community curated powered by the emerging technologies and thought leadership of Verizon. With Ali, Verizon is bridging the gap between startup and corporation by helping the community workspace build next-level ecosystems for entrepreneurs. And now, on to my interview with Laserbeak. To get what I wanted, I gave it my all, and I'm still doing that, and I didn't half-ass it. Yeah, yeah, check it out. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Uh, yeah. Everybody tuning in, you invited, you invited. No matter what mood you in, get excited, get excited. Everybody love the music, let me tell you how they do it. Whether writer or an agent, let me tell you how they made it. You are now talking to a silent giant. Wanna walk in their shoes, silent giants. Wanna study they move, silent giants. Wanna know what they do, silent giants. Silent giants, y'all. <laughs> Pod bless and welcome to another episode of the Silent Giants podcast, a podcast that highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. To keep up with the latest on the show, be sure to follow us on Instagram at, at Silent Giants Podcast. To keep up with my life, music, and more, be sure to follow me as well at, at Corey Cambridge. Our special guest this episode is Minneapolis, Minnesota hip hop producer Laserbeak. Laserbeak is also the founder of Doomtree Records, an independent label and creative collective based in his native hometown of Minneapolis. He, alongside producer Ryan Olsen, co-produced Lizzo's first album, Lizzo Bangers, back in 2013, when she was just getting her start as an up-and-coming artist in Minnesota. I flew out to Minnesota to meet with Laserbeak for an interview at the Doomtree headquarters to learn more about his life and career, the scene in Minneapolis, how he founded Doomtree, we get into how he met Lizzo for the first time, the makings of her debut album, Lizzo Bangers. He offers vital advice for independent artists in smaller markets and so much more. So without further ado, let me introduce you to the producer, label founder, Minneapolis legend, my friend, the silent giant, Laserbeak. Yo, 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 what's hey, up, B? Hey, come on. What's up, dog? I can't dog? believe you're at the Doomtree office. Dog, it's so good to be here. Touched in your, down in Minneapolis. In your hometown. Oh, you know what I'm saying? It's a pleasure I, to have you. I got my gopher's hat I on. I know. You look, you're a local, man. <laughs> we welcome you with open arms. Dude, I feel like I'm a local. Like, <laughs> I literally love Minnesota. And it's come up several times in, my, in different podcast interviews yeah. where I tell people, like, yo, Minnesota is the shit. <laughs> it's like the best kept secret. In America, I, I wouldn't argue with that by any means. But I, you know, I've been I'm born and raised, so it's I'm a I'm a homer for sure. Have you lived anywhere else? No, I so nope, and I don't plan on it unless I somehow get excommunicated from my family or something. Like, have you knock ever, on wood. <laughs> have you ever been in the experience where you go to some like another town and feel like, oh, I could do this? Yes, what? constantly, dude. I just got back, so for me, it's New Orleans. Like, I want to live in New Orleans. I think. It's the first time where I have three kids ranging between five and seven. Yeah. And I'm like looking at the big calendar. Like, we got three kids ranging from five and seven. I don't recommend it at all. <laughs> Yo, bang, bang, bang. It's a problem. <laughs> I had to get talked into having a second one. And then we got twins, of course. Oh, it was and twins. It's twins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it well, was so is, it, is it identical boy, no, girl? No, no. It's okay. So uh, daughter, Penny, she just turned seven. And then our twin boys just turned five. And they are uh whatever fraternal, fraternal. Or whatever yeah okay so, and they actually look nothing alike and they are totally opposites like one is like a unicorn fairy that loves art and dancing and the other one is just like he only speaks in cars he's okay. just like cars and the color red and that's it that's like kind of what he does so i'm thankful for that because i have nothing against identical twins god bless them uh i was just creeped out to have twins in the first place and then to not be able to tell them i don't know you know they speak the same language and stuff yeah yeah, yeah. I was just happy to have a, a little bit 
different. <laughs> I just <laughs> put it that it up way. a little bit. You know I would have loved them. I would loved them no matter what. Uh, but, but you were saying New Orleans, New Orleans. So yeah, I left that family and I went to New Orleans for just two days. And I try to get there every year. And there's no other city in the world to me like that. Um, and I would absolutely live there in a heartbeat. You know, I, I went to New Orleans. It's a long time ago now. It was over 10 years ago. It's like pre-Katrina Okay, when I went. But I really enjoyed, like, the vibe. Oh, my God. Like, everything's so cheap. Yes. Which is... It's a problem. Whoa. <laughs> well, get you a hurricane. You know what I'm saying? For, like, what? Like, $3? Oh, my God. I had a great... The Lyft drivers there are amazing now because... I mean, obviously, this is post-Katrina, but... Because um, they will actually tell you like it is. Like, I was like, okay, you know, we went... Blah, this is years back when I first started going. I'm like, you know, we hit the, we got the hurricane on Bourbon Street and we got the muffalata, uh, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, we don't eat that shit, man. Like, that's for y'all. They were like, we don't eat alligator down here. We don't eat like muffalettas. That's for the tourists. Um, but they're nice about it. Right, know? right, right, right. Um, but yeah, it's like, man. And it's about, it's really bounced back. Like, I, I was there on tour when Katrina I was on tour when Katrina happened so we had our show rerouted um up to uh Baton Rouge okay but we had um some kids from New Orleans came up to that show and they were like yo you have a day off um before you leave to go wherever Texas and they were like we want to bring you down to New Orleans and just show you we, we want you to see this like you know like just actually with your own eyes see the devastation not on some like this is cool but just like you know you're here you should you should see this and that was like the most eye-opening shit to see it you know it was like two weeks afterwards and we couldn't get around most of it like and just like still at that moment watching that city like trying to hang on and they they bounced back uh well, I, they, I think it's like it's like post baby boom yeah like thing you know you know what yep. i mean like it, we're like the 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 other baby boomers. Yeah. Instead of like the white flight era where we had the suburbs. Right. We're like, we, let's get back to that city. Let's city. get back to the city. <laughs> like, let's walk to the bodega. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Why don't we give this up? Yeah. These are, condos are tight. For like, like basic ass Applebee's <laughs> and Barnes and Noble. Yeah. Maybe maybe we all came to our senses and we're like, whoa, what were we thinking? Yeah. And now the, yeah. Now the inner city people can just go be left with the Applebee's. Yeah, well, I got so much love for Minneapolis, man. Like Dude, every single time I come out here. I'm so so you hit me, I don't know, was it this weekend? You were just like, "Yo, I'm going to be there. Like let's just do it in person because we had tried to do this over the phone yes, and it's yes. just not the same." No, I the phone interview is cool, but like you don't get to like meet the person, you get to yeah. like I can't read your eyes. Yes. I can't like No question. Like the I can't vibe off of your Dude. expressions or anything. And, and I'm like I uh, so I'm used to I'm used to being interviewed, but I just got into the podcast. Yeah, I got a lot of I should have some questions for you, but yeah. Um, so for the first time, I'm interviewing musicians, and I never realized how important. I mean, I guess I did conversationally how important eyes are, like how much they tell you when someone is wrapping up or when, like, hey, don't ask that question or whatever, you right. know. And I had um, a dear friend, Mark Malman, on the show, who's like kind of a local legend. Um, and when he answers a question, he goes like deep within his soul and he closes his eyes the whole time. And he's kind of like channel, you know, he's almost just like channeling something in his soul, but we didn't know when to like jump in. And he also like, Yo, bro. Just keep going. You're just like, <laughs> Oh, okay. And then like, so yeah, it was a, it was eye opening literally to be oh, like, very funny. Hey, That's good. Come That's on. Good. I'm a dad. I'm That's a dad. Good. That's good. Uh, I can do that. Um, but yeah, dude, anyways, so happy to have you here. Yeah, and right. I love that you're at the, the, uh, not so glamorous doom tree office. No, nah, no, but dude, this <laughs> is, this is, this is the hustle spot, dog. <laughs> That's exactly right. First of all, it can't, the hustle spot can't be glamorous. No, it, Everyone in the crew, when when we first got this place, and to be clear, we're sitting in like a 500 square foot glorified um, storage hey, container, like, yeah, shipping container. Like a storage. <laughs> well, like a, a storage unit, where, right? Storage warehouse yeah. vibe. And it just happens to have a chair and the internet. Um, and and so all the, the guys in the crew in Doomtree, I try to get people to come here to have a meeting and shit. And they were like man, you know, you can get, like, a lamp or something. You don't need this, like, crazy lighting. I don't have any windows in here. Like, we could put some artwork up or paint the walls. And I was like, no, that will be a distraction. I need to just fucking, like, this needs to be, like, a jail cell. No, you know? I, I, I don't even go to coffee shops that yeah. are too bougie. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I need, like, a little grit. Yes, exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't need like, the fancy lighting. You know what it is? I don't go to coffee shops that have avocado toast. Wow. That's well, a that's sign. all of them, I feel That's like. a sign of, like, nah, dog. <laughs> Not going to do it. You can't hustle can't here. can't do it. Nah, dog. No you know avocado toast. 
Wow, uh, shots fired. Well, no, avocado toast had its moment. I feel like it's time we can all move on. No, no, it has. It, it's a, it's amazing. I like it. Yeah, but that's a hustle. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want a bagel. <laughs> like, give me cream cheese and jelly, dog. Black coffee. Yes, let's go. Let's go. Give me the internet. Uh, yeah, the hustle spot. I'm gonna have to start referring it to as this. Um, I got my calendar on the wall. We're good here. No, it's, it's, I love I love the energy. <laughs> but no, but yo, so tell me more about like your uh, about like describe Minneapolis. Yeah. and the music scene here. Oh my god, dude. Well. I mean, this could be like seven podcasts for us because I'm a, I'm very much, uh, I'm like a proud mom of this town, especially when it comes to the music and the arts community. And I, so I've been, I'm going to be 37. I'm getting up there. So I'm reaching like OG status in the music community. Like, yeah. you know, it's been amazing to be in it this long and actually be able to see, feel the feeling of being a young gunner on the come up and then get that little taste of like, we own the city. And then immediately be knocked off your platform by the next generation and now just kind of be like in all of those worlds, but also getting to be a cheerleader and help put on people. And, um, and just like that cycle has been so gratifying for me. And, um, so I can't speak enough. Like, I feel like, okay, I've been very blessed to travel the world performing music. I've seen an incredible amount of amazing cities with cool scenes. Um, I for real don't think I've seen anything like it here. Like it's the level of collaboration and of community um, between not just like, we're talking like of all genres, of all ages, of all backgrounds, um, because we're kind of an underdog small city, like, our, you know, the closest big city to us is Chicago and that's yeah. like a seven hour drive, right? And even that you don't think of as like the hub for the music industry. So we have no major labels there were never ARs here there were never booking agents here there still aren't um and so that forced us to like learn on our own from one another so we're almost forced in, this is my take on it yeah. right and you know i'm i'm just coming into it it has been strong long before i was born i got into it i started i was in an indie rock band in junior high and in high school we started to bubble, bubble up a little bit here in the city so i've been in it here i would say like you know, 20, 20 years or so. And I just think my take is that we were forced to talk to each other because we, no one knew what the hell they were doing and there was no one here to like poach us or give us the game. And so we kind of learned it in this weird, like Prince is such a good example of that. Like he's popular music, but he's a little off, you know, like he's not. Well, I think that that is the part of the culture of Minneapolis. Yeah. That it's, it's commercial but it's quirky. Yes. It's like quirky Absolutely. commercial. Absolutely. It's got its weird. It's like, yeah, it wasn't cuz cuz we were kind of like raised in this weird no man's land. And so we put our own juice in there and um and I you know, a lot of scenes are like influenced, you know, like there's a Detroit sound or there was for a while there with hip hop. Like there was definitely a West Coast sound and an East Coast sound and I think those are and a Southern sound. That's all kind of breaking down now with yeah. the internet. But you know, We've never had, like, you know, they talk about the Minneapolis sound with, like, the R&B and shit in the 80s. And that that's true. That had a sound. But but now our sound is kind of the fact that there, to me, there isn't one. Like, everyone is so equally influenced by all three coasts, essentially, that we're able to pull from everything. And so that I think that really makes it unique. You know, it's cool to go to a city like New Orleans and really see the influence of how the you know the lineage of like well then this music hit and then you had the blah 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 and then there's the line music and blah you know right. but um but we it's kind of beautiful to not have that because everyone is so influenced by so many different things that it just like creates this crazy pocket and then with the collaboration like it is it is just expected not just within the musicians here um but within the actual fan base of of concert goers that aren't involved at whatsoever in the arts that just go and support music, it's totally normal and expected to go see a local show on a Tuesday and have like a bluegrass band open and a pop punk band play second and like a soul singer play third and a whatever, a lo-fi producer headline. You know, yeah. like no one blinks. Everyone stays for the whole shit. Everyone's partying together and... When I go to bigger cities with like not as strong of a, uh, I don't know, a collaborative community, you know, people go for their band and they leave or you just don't see that type of genre diversity right. because everyone plays all the metal bands play on the metal night and all the country bands play on the country night. So, And, and my, my hometown of Richmond has very similar energy as 
Minneapolis. Where Does like, it? I, I think one is for collaboration to go well, I think you have to have a city that loves live music. Yes. Right? Like, I think that's the number one question. component of yep. like, because there has to be someone to support it, right? Right. Well, live music is collaboration. Yeah. Right? So the horn player <laughs> over essence. here is going to play with the drummer over there. Yeah, yeah. And the drummer in this band is going to be cool with the other band. Yeah. And when that drummer is out sick, he'll come in and sub in. Yes. And I think live music is the origins of collaborative efforts in Oof. cities. Science. You know what I mean? Why wow, bring it? And, and same goes right. with like New Orleans. Yeah. Right? No like question. Live, like live instrumentation. Yep. And you're just playing and you're vibing and you're improvising. Um, so, yeah. And, you know, that was that's always been the way here for people to actually make a living is there is that infrastructure of just like, honestly, like monetary support. Like people go to concerts here. And even in the middle of the winter when it's negative 20 degrees, like we go out and we support local music. And we have a lot of, um, you know, behemoths here to thank for that, like First Avenue, which is like the legendary, legendary. speaking of Prince, right? Yep. Purple Rain venue and um, has really been here for, uh, we're coming up on 50 years. Oh, wow. And uh, they have ushered in a whole new, like the new era of First Ave is like, it's a takeover in, in a really cool way of like, they've now branched out. We have the Palace Theater, which they run, which is in St. Paul. It's like a 3000 cap room. They've taken over the Fitzgerald Theater in St. Paul, which is more of a sit-down, kind of like public radio type vibe. Uh, they got the Turf Club, which is like a 500 cap. So they have all these places, and and because of their reputation with acts and you know booking agents, they can fill all those rooms almost any given night. And there's enough variety and enough people that will pay for the tickets that it just like kind of manifests this ongoing. It's just popping. Uh, how did you first discover that you were going to get into music back in your early life? Good question. So I was, uh, oh, you're taking me back now. So yeah, dog, uh, do that thing. Um, you're going back like Randy Moss you know, days. You know, let's go. Um, so, Randall Cunningham. Yes, yes, Randall Cunningham. <laughs> good. Um, so I, you know, I grew up listening to, I grew up in a pretty strictly religious, like Christian family. So I could listen to the radio, but other than that, I couldn't really get any tapes with like explicit lyrics. And I wasn't really good at like sneaking that shit anyways. So I grew up listening to R&B, like 90s R&B on the radio. So I was like raised on SWV and, um, you know, all just all of that, right? Boys to Men. Um, and then christian rap because there was a christian rap scene at the time that i could my folks were like yeah you can get christian rap tapes so it was i remember michael peace was like this ex-gangbanger from philly that had made a whole new career as like a born-again christian so i had michael peace tapes and whatever so that was like i liked music from as early as i can remember um and then fourth grade hit and we had i was fortunate enough to go to a public school that offered choir band and orchestra okay um and that's the last of a dying but you know that just isn't the case that much anymore unfortunately in public school but so my folks were like you got to pick an instrument like you're gonna learn something like this will be good for you and this is around the time that the simpsons are really popping so i picked alto sax so i could be like lisa simpson there we go <laughs> in hindsight role models in hindsight not the <laughs> coolest instrument i wish i had picked trumpet or percussion but um so that led me into like learning how to read music, you know, poorly. But uh, I played saxophone through high school until marching. They they forced you to be in marching band in high school. I hate. I could not. I mean, I'm not a very good dancer to begin with. Like I can two step, but that's about it. And marching band, having to like read and dress up in the shitty costume. Hey, they, they put you outside. Oh yeah. Stop. Oh dude. No. Not cool. No. And the so Minnesota marching band <laughs> is not the wave. Pep band was great because playing the basketball games was awesome. You yeah. got to see all the – we had a great high school basketball team. That was amazing. Football games outside, fuck no. No, outside, uh -uh. hell no. Um, so uh, anyways, but but what led me to playing music, like creating music, was um, I got to junior high and all the cool kids were like starting bands and things like that. And I was like, what's that? And I found my dad's busted up acoustic guitar. He was like a uh, – youth pastor so he had had this guitar you know to play kumbaya or whatever um and there it is right there i just got it oh, tuned up there we go uh, it's in the office it actually i still have it and it has not completely it looks good. it's a little beat up but it, no no but it has flavor yes exactly yes. it's uh it's an old soul and uh and so i just taught myself some open chords so i could play in bands with the kids i thought were cool and then within a year i had a band 
and then it was just on. You know, I mean, like a, a shitty junior high band, like everybody, right? You, you you mentioned that your your dad was a youth pastor, and this is his uh, his guitar. Uh, was so I'm assuming your house is a very musical household. You know, it was musical. Um, it was it was like oh, I don't want no shots of my. I love my mom and dad. Shouts to my parents. Uh, <laughs> no shots fired. <laughs> it but was like it was musical in the sense that like. They, my mom was a kind of trained pianist, so she would play hymns after dinner, and my dad would stand behind her and sing those hymns. So it was like, it was pretty square, you know? It wasn't yeah. like we were belting out. It wasn't like everyone grabbed an instrument, we were jamming. It was like, you know, um, some Jesus stuff. Okay, yeah. So, but, but not like, and not like cool gospel Jesus stuff, like real, like Lutheran white. Uh, <laughs> it's just like, him, like him pure Jesus. Jesus like pure Jerusalem like how great is his love <laughs> like you know um, so our God is an awesome God well, well I think I think it's always and I ask this question every time on the podcast because you know I always stress to people that this is not uh, your destiny is never just some random outlier thing yeah right yeah, yeah like absolutely you are literally the two things that really influence and shape people yeah I'm a firm believer who your parents are yep because they're the first people that you see Yep. And then where you're from, yeah. right? Because where Absolutely. you're from opens up opportunities totally. or closes opportunities depending where you live. Absolutely, you know yeah. I mean? Jay-Z was just the best rapper to be discovered <laughs> in, in Marcy. In, in Marcy, you know what I'm <laughs> yeah, saying? Yeah, exactly. But he would not be the same if he was living in... No, man. You're right. Duluth. Yeah, the Jay-Z of Minneapolis is not the Jay-Z. It's just not Jay-Z, It's right? not Jay-Z. Exactly. Yeah. He definitely wouldn't be able to wear that fucking Yankees fitted all day, every day for... I guess he doesn't wear it anymore. He grew his hair out, right? Yeah, he grew his hair and now he was in LA. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know what? Now did, he sells art. Yeah, That's now he sells fine. art. Exactly. No problem. But did your parents encourage you uh, along yes. your musical journey? Yes. I mean, I, I, and they still do. Like, I... I'm at a point now. Okay, so yeah, just to backtrack real quick. So I got played in band, then I had this indie rock band, and that got me through high school and a little bit of my 20s. And then we kind of split as people were starting real lives. And then I doubled down and got into hip hop production and and has been do have been producing for for close to 20 years now. Um, but yes, dude, every step of the way, like, and I feel for because I know so many people that didn't have that support. Um, that are interested in the arts and not just music, but whether that's film or, you know, painting or photography or whatever, I get it. None of those are like really successful, you know, like money making paths usually, but, um, but yeah, man, every step of the way, biggest champions, like my mom has the scrapbooks and shit still and, and, uh, brings the newspaper in whenever they write us up. And, um, and my dad just equally as much. So I couldn't, I couldn't have asked for a more supportive, uh, family structure and that allowed me to like really go for it and feel like I was loved and supported in whatever it was that I was doing and you know not going like they had a little money saved up for me for a college fund and I just didn't I was like that's not this is what I want to do and they because they saw how passionately and and focused I was at what I wanted they were like okay you know, they didn't fight me over not going to college or anything like that. It was just like, all right, well, he's going to have a different path and he's going to deliver pizzas for 10 years while he tries to figure it out. And and that's what happened. Because well, uh, the culture out here in the Midwest is very much like very family oriented and very yeah. rooted in religion. Yeah, um, I think so. I mean, it feels right. <laughs> when, when, yeah. when Was there ever... Uh, I guess, contention in between you wanting to get into secular music mm. and not wanting to be a Christian artist? Yeah, yeah. No, you know, by the time I was actually making music, I think they had soft. I was the first kid, and so I think my sister had come along, and um, and then they, were, they weren't quite as worried about me once they figured it out. Like, I don't know. So, no, not really. I mean, I do remember, like, there was a couple swear words on our first CD, band CD, and I remember playing it for them, and, like, I knew the exact moment the swear word was going to come, and I, like coughed or like turned it down like oh what's the score or whatever and then turn it back up but no for the most part it was pretty it, they've been pretty chill about all that stuff um it was really just the records i was buying like i, I remember they had a thing they're probably embarrassed about this now but they had a rule where again first child so they were just they didn't know what they're doing um and i had to go to the if there was an album i wanted that was secular. I had to go to the library and find two articles from like, you know, the Rolling Stone magazine at the library, find two articles about the group or the artist, bring them to my dad, check them out, bring it to my dad, let him read it. And then he would decide whether I could get the album. And granted, this is not 2019 where you just fucking go on Spotify and listen to whatever you want. This is like, 
I had to get a ride. To, and I'm in Minne- I'm in a to suburb Target. of Minneapolis. Like I can't just like hop on the train and go to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So there really wasn't. And it's the middle of winter. I can't just like go pick up the uh, the Nine Inch Nails album or whatever. So I vividly remember I had a I've I dabbled in grunge. I think like a lot of people did in the early 90s or mid 90s. But I really wanted this Alice in Chains album for some goddamn reason. <laughs> and I brought him the articles, but I didn't actually read them beforehand. And I think the first paragraph on Alice in Chains was like, their original band was called Fuck. And they printed the word fuck on condoms and like gave them oh, out. That was <laughs> sold. <laughs> it's like really, really uh, I mean, look, fucked I, that I, up. I would have just read the article and said like, nah, this is just- Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like, not going to It's not gonna this happen. Ain't, this ain't the one. It's not, don't, yeah. <laughs> look at the MC don't Hammer joint. that sword, exactly. Look at the Vanilla Ice joint You know joint what I did? The they did let me, to their credit, I had I had Summertime by Fresh Prince and Bill. Oh, that's a classic. Uh, you know, that was great. That still actually goes pretty that, hard, man. Yo, that shit slaps. I think so too. I'm a huge fan of Will Smith in everything that he does. And when he started rapping again recently, I was like, he's still kind of he's still kind of doing it. I mean, look, one thing that I learned from Will Smith that I think every artist should take away from is just being yourself. Yes. Like it doesn't matter if people think you're corny. Yeah. If you're not the hottest, like coolest, yes. hippest thing, have fun with like, it. Success right? Success is he's always been himself, and yep. he's always stayed true to his own. His own path yeah. and, and his own brand. Dude, you know, I love him. Love the guy. I know, not that he needs any more praise because the whole world does. But uh. who doesn't love Will? <laughs> we love Will Smith. But you know, I, I, I'm so traditionally with Silent Giants interview people behind the scenes. Which for you, you're an artist. Yeah. But you're also I know one right? of things behind the scenes. Yeah. So I, I want people to understand. I want to get more of your journey on how do you feel? Uh, how were you able to cultivate mm. a following in your hometown and yeah. be successful? at it yes um so you know it's it's tricky like minneapolis can be can feel really daunting to break into because sometimes it is so close-knit that you know if you don't it does kind of require you to be out and about and in the mix so if you're one of those more um introvert types it can feel a little like hard to break in because it is a lot of times just about who you hung out with or whatever that can like throw you a bone or whatever but um but we we got the city somehow. Like Doomtree started in, you know, in earnest probably in 2001. And at that point it was like 15 motherfuckers that were kind of teaching each other how to make hip hop and we were just like a lot of us were like skate kids, like we had kind of just we were just a mess. But there was something in, you know, there's something about crews, right? Like there's they shouldn't stay around that long and they usually don't. So whenever they do even no matter how like raggedy they are people are like oh yeah that's tight because it's like strength in numbers right, right? like Wu-Tang Clan is fucking like still to this day you see those guys on stage they're like 60 years old and you're like holy shit that's Wu-Tang Clan you know like every crew and I've always just been so into crews like I just love that idea that camaraderie so when when we started I think people really just got behind the fact that it was like a really weird collection of people we joked that we used to look like a united colors of benetton hat <laughs> or whatever like in our first tours we would all go sit down at like a denny's and the server would come in and be like are you guys sitting together like or whatever like do you guys know each other because we just don't look like we would all hang oh, out right. you know and so th- i think there was something about that that's just like what a random squad of young kids that just don't really know what they're doing and there was like something about that and i i really think that had kind of to this day has has become a factor just like it's just a unique thing and um so it wasn't i want to say like it was so hard but it wasn't that hard i mean we just worked hard right and this is a city where once you start to get a little buzz it's a smaller town right so you get like it can happen pretty quick and then you go through that phase of like, oh, now you're the band that opens up for everybody that for free. And now you're the band that, oh, starting to have a headliner once every couple months. And you just kind of slowly work your way up the ranks. Because um, let, let, let's get into that. Let's get into into booking shows. Oh, God. Like, what are the, the steps for up and coming artists to mm. book shows in your hometown? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's different in every city. But I think, again, fight your fears if you don't like being out in a group of people. But like... You got to make friends with the with the people that book for those clubs. You know, you got to be at those clubs and be seen. You don't just like immediately go in and be like, give me a show. But you got to kind of just be around and get friendly and 
ingratiate yourself yes and in the culture dude uh, you know a phrase that i've beat to death is long game strong game like it's not about the immediate return and this goes for everything that i've ever gotten in my life is based on this mentality of like it's not just about this one thing it's about this one thing leading to a next thing that in two years might lead to the thing or whatever and just being able to see further down the road and not put all your hopes on any one given thing um and i'm constantly surprised the the later i get in my life how that works and how like after you do that enough the universe kind of provides and i sound like a hippie but like there's something to that um it's almost like karma and so um so just get to know the key players you know and like don't be afraid to go up and tell a band good job without any uh ulterior motive to just be like good job and hey i'm so and so and blah 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 and then the next time maybe it's like hey you know love this specific thing about the set like here's a link to my soundcloud you know whatever but like i think now more than ever and Dude, on Instagram, you can DM anyone now. Like, that annoys me as an artist that is getting hit up constantly by people I don't know. Yeah. But it's kind of amazing because it hasn't gotten oversat. Like, I still feel the need to, I shouldn't say this out loud, but I still generally feel the need to respond to those things. Yeah. You know? And so that's like, what a gift to just be able to like send a text to anybody in the entire world, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Use that, like, do it respectfully. But I, I always feel like anyone that comes at me on there with a question or anything respectfully or with like kindness, I'm like, might take me a minute to get back, but I actually try to because that seems totally valid, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um. So anyways, I mean, it's, Cause, I think. Cause what, what about on the, let's say for instance, you're a new artist. Yeah. At the end of the day, the, the venue is a business. Yes. Right? So what is it that new artists can do to offer leverage or show value to the booking agent. So I tell this of a lot of younger acts that I end up working with or kind of giving a little advice to is that um, once you make that initial contact with whoever the booker is, if you're getting started, I, and I've had great success with this is I let them know. I like send them the little email. It's like, here's the band. Here's the links to, you know, be very succinct and like, here's, make it real simple for them to hear your music, follow you on Twitter, whatever. And then I, I say, if you're ever in a bind, if a band ever cancels or if an opener drops off a bill and you need someone last minute, please reach out to me. You know, we'll, we'll be there and we'll do it for free. And you basically just make yourself available. Like, how can I help you? I really feel like that goes so far um, because most of the people you're dealing with are stressed out of their minds. They don't have time to even think about putting you on a bill but the second you're like, hey, I'm here for you, they they kind of tuck that away, right? And so then if you're able to do a favor for somebody, now the wheels are turning, right? Now next time, maybe they're like, oh, that was so tight. Maybe they actually came, popped down and saw your set because you saved their ass. And then they're actually thinking about you to put you on a different bill. Or now you just, the the communication is open. Right. So that's one that I, I tell everyone to do. Just like, it's the same way that we used to, you know, the the hip hop days of like, you find the DJ before he goes in and you offer to to carry his records in for him. Obviously, that's not really happening anymore. But you know, like yeah. you just get buddies with the DJ and then whatever, uh, maybe he lets you do 15 minutes before he goes on next time. Um, but yeah, man, as far as, uh, well, it's being successful. So then, you know, we, as an, on the artist side, we luckily 2011 ish kind of break nationally and we, we had some success with touring internationally and, um, but around that time I had my first kid and realized I couldn't be on the road for eight months a year. Like I, I had been and, um, had to find a way cause it was basically either give this stuff up and go find a real job, which I had no idea what that would be. It'd probably just be delivering pizzas still. Um, or try to find a way that I could still be somehow involved in this shit, even if it's not from like solely making music. And that's what led to me kind of, I had already been kind of running our independent label, but really stepping up and being like, I'm going to do all of this. I'm the guy. Let me manage the group. I'm going to run the day-to-day -day logistics and the operations and all that stuff. And that's, I mean, this is Doomtree Records. Like you're sitting in it, man. Like, um, and it's my laptop and all these boxes of CDs that no one will ever buy. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I want to unpack this even even further. Some of the things you mentioned there that I want to unpack more. Like, I want to unpack, you mentioned you're going on tour. Yeah. So we we covered talking to the venue in your your local hometown. Sure. Right? And then let's say, for instance, you're starting to get a little buzz and building your audience on a a national level. How the fuck do you make a tour happen? Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, it's an absolute nightmare. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to sugarcoat that. Your face literally, like, when I asked the question, it's like, oh, shit. Um, But, uh, you know, in the beginning, it was, and I say this a lot, because touring had its time. Um, Right now, I feel like we're in a kind of a bubble of, like, there's just it's good and bad, but there's just too much out there. It's too hard. Like it used to be a good way to make money. You go on the road, like there was a a demand for it. Now there's too many artists trying to do too much. And so it's not the same. Like I still, I talk to new artists and they're like, I want to go on a eight week tour. And I'm like, you don't, you honestly (laughs) don't right now. Like there's just no, it, it will be soul crushing. So I'm a big proponent of slowly, wherever you are, wherever that pin is dropped on the map, you just fucking expand the circle a little bit, a little bit every time. And so, okay, say you're playing, say, okay, say Minneapolis is your hometown. Like us, it was like, okay, we can play a show and not lose the promoter money in Minneapolis. Now let's hit um, Duluth or Mankato, or these are towns that are within like a two hour radius, right? And then you just start to kind of map your way pin by pin. Okay, now we played Madison and we didn't totally suck. And now we have a, a contact there. So now let's try to route a tour, quote unquote, Minneapolis, Madison, Chicago. It's just a long weekend, but that's still a tour. Like right. it is what you, it's whatever you want to call it. And so a tour doesn't have to be fucking 12 months long. It can be two shows. Um, and so build that up organically if you can. I mean, that's going to be a lot of work and time and just like, heartbreak not getting your emails returned and shit but just grind it out and then from there you know ultimately at a certain level you need a booking agent to do this that job is so um time consuming that i remember our guitarist booked all of our tours for a while it was very diy like you know late 90s stuff but i mean he was working i don't know how the fuck he did it he liked it somehow but that is like the the easiest 10% I've ever given anybody has been to a booking agent. Mm. Now, nice work if you can get it. Like, it's not... It used to be that agents would just have huge rosters. And now, everyone's trimming their rosters and all the agencies are getting bought up by the big dogs. And so, everyone's feeling the the pinch. Um, so, I recognize a, from a place of privilege the fact that I have a booking agent and how hard it is to get one right now. But that ultimately is how you do it. You get okay. a booking agent... And then you talk closely with them. You guys, you know, a good booking agent will scheme and plan with you and and work with your label or your manager or whatever to to make sure everything is is happening in tandem. And then ultimately, we'll go out and route a tour for you, book that all, you know, get it all set up, and you'll give them ten percent of what you make from that tour. Now we're gonna unpack a little further and go yeah, back a little go. farther back. Okay into Doomtree and starting a label. Yeah. And you see so many people, you know, it almost sounds cliche to folks because you have so many rappers that are like, oh, I know. So I start my label, start my label, start I my know. label. But no one ever goes into the X's and O's of how yeah. you start a label. Yeah, yeah. Right? You just oh, hear, man. like, I have my team. Well, what? who's on What's your team? team? Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, so it's my cousin. And uh, I mean, for us, it was, again, out of necessity because we are in Minneapolis. Like, dude, I would have immediately taken the shittiest deal anyone could have offered me if anyone was offering it, you know, but we're in Minneapolis in the early two thousands making like some kind of weird version, Minnesota version of like indie rap and no one was really calling. Um, but we still wanted to put out CDs and, um, and so we just slapped, you know, it was kind of like an afterthought. You just, Oh, doom tree records. And then you come up with the money to press up the thousand CDs and you just kind of, 
fake it till you make it from there. So it's gone from that. Like my first role in the label was I was the archivist. And so I, when like a weekly paper would write a two sentence blurb about one of our shows, I would go get like 12 copies and hold on to them. I was like the scrapbooker. Um, and then that slowly turned into like, okay, you're in charge of, we trust Beak. He can be in charge of the money box, which was straight up like, uh, you know, tiny money box that, and then I went and bought a ledger at Target. And then it would literally, you know, we'd have like 50 bucks in this thing. And it would be like line by line accounting, like, okay, we made $12 on CDRs that we sold at the last show. Okay, we got to go to Kinko's and make some flyers. That's going to be 18 bucks. And there was, you know, and and now I'm now I'm that, except it's on uh, a work, Excel worksheet, you know, yeah. but like, and I have an actual checkbook and, um, but all that stuff is self-taught and through an immense amount of failure and trial and error, you know, like you just figured it out as we went. And we were fortunate enough to never have like the super crazy arc where we were like small, 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 absolutely massive. I mean, I, I would have taken it. Don't get me wrong. I'd still take it if anyone yeah. wants to cut that check. But uh, but we were like kind of slow and steady, man. Tortoise in the hair style, right? And so every time we got a little bit bigger, it was never too much for us to bite off. And if we failed, it was never such, the stakes were never so high that it was all or nothing. It was like, okay, we learned from that you know, next time we'll do it this way. And so we just we're still do it. I'm still doing that, man. Like, I I don't think I'll ever not do that. I don't think anyone can like fake it till you make it. Turns out is you never make it, you know? Right, right. You just never make it. You just keep doing your thing. Because when you started the label, this is pre, you know, now you can maybe go on YouTube and type in like, how to start a record label. Right. But at this time, how did you discover how to do this at, at all well we were really fortunate and super inspired again credit where credit's due is that we come from a city that uh, rhyme sayers entertainment had already kind of tested the blueprint for especially in independent hip-hop how to pull this off and they had so that's like atmosphere and brother ali and people like that that especially in that time period were really at a national international level doing real things and so they were they were proving the case for making it out of here and doing it in a DIY independent way. Um, and a lot of what they took was the kind of blueprint of, of indie rock and punk touring. And they just applied it to rap, which no one had really done. Now it seems funny. Like now you just think of it all kind of being the same, but at the time there was no like rappers just hopping in a van and just going to like Missoula, Montana or whatever. Like these guys just got in a van and did it. And so we had that blueprint in the same city, um, and that helped us a lot. I mean, that gave us, I think, confidence that we could see someone in, in our backyard successfully doing it. Um, and so it wasn't like we hung out with those guys even. It was just like uh, kind of an unspoken, oh, shit, those guys are actually, they can do that. You know, we definitely took some some pointers. You know, I definitely studied what they did. Were you able to ask any, any, any questions? Yeah, occasionally when we first got into like um, – I would go in Sadiq, who kind of is like the the guy at the top. Um, I would go in there occasionally and and just be like, "Yo, how do I start an LLC or whatever?" You know, like how do I? And he would he would give me a little bit of game. And they were always the older brother. Sometimes now we're all old, the old guys, so it doesn't matter. Um, yeah. But they were the older brother. We were very much like the new kids, like not coming for their spot, but certainly like doing stuff a little too similar to them for them to probably feel like we'll just tell these guys everything that we do, you know, it's yeah. a competition. Right. Um, so it was healthy, but yeah, it wasn't like this incredible back and forth dialogue. And, and to their, I totally understand that. Like, you don't just give all the, what is, what does Snoop say? The game is to be sold, not told. Yes. Right. Yes. percent. <laughs> uh, so there you have it. The, the label starts, now we're at a point where we've released over probably close to a, coming up on like 150th release. And so that's like, you know, we're coming up on almost two decades as a label. Like, I don't recommend it. <laughs> like, especially right now, like, I really don't think you need, there's so much at your disposal that I don't think you really need a label for a whole lot like you used to. And, and in the end, we're really just here as kind of like the foundation to allow the seven solo artists to to release the art that they want to create. Like we're here as a champion for that. So Dessa wants to write a book or, you know, tomorrow, if I was like, 
you know what? I want to make a, an aerobics video and I want to put that out on DVD. Like, I'm sure I'd have a little pushback from the squad, but we'd be like, well, Beak, you know, if that's where your heart is, like, we'll print up some aerobic DVDs. Like, so we're just kind of here. And, and so whether it's side projects that we get involved in or, or whatever, um, that's kind of what it's been here for without any lofty notions of being like a super successful label. It's just kind of, been it's just if it ain't broke right that's kind of our story if it well, ain't broke bringing on artists yeah right uh signing talent bringing talent mm. on what goes into the x's and o's of that so i don't actually know because we've just never done that we yeah. literally just had these seven people and so when we all come together to make an album we're doomtree the band and otherwise we're seven solo artists and um and then those seven solo artists have a lot of side projects and so we've only ever really released anything in that kind of world, yeah. Um, which has made it easy in a way, because capacity-wise, it, it is pretty much me and a couple other people that are able to pull this thing off. You know, we lean on a lot of friends to help us with videos and art and all that stuff. But we are not like a big enough label to sign a bunch of artists right now. Um, I am like. I would love it if we were because because um, that's exciting, especially as we get older. But I think, you know, I now ha I've gotten into the management game now as I've gotten older, too, in more of that behind the scenes role. So I manage other artists outside of Doomtree and have had to kind of have been tasked with and I'm currently tasked with kind of shopping albums, trying to find labels. I think it's a really difficult time right now to get signed to a label. Um, nor nor is it necessary yeah right? I like, don't i don't think i mean it's certainly at a certain level the machine that a that a well-functioning label can provide like I, i'll use this is top of the tops example but like lizzo who's an artist i produced lizzo's first album um when she was here in minneapolis now obviously she's she's having a hell of a year and that is largely due to her absolute insane force of a musician human being like incredible person um but when it was when she had finally proven herself and done all that legwork you know and gotten to that that top atlantic her label is able to say okay now you're ready and hit a button and ignite a machine that can support that type of stardom you know, so in that case, yes, you need you need all the people in marketing and you need the fucking you need the the machine. Um, but if you're getting started, um, you don't need that yet. You know, how did you meet her for the first time? So she um, she had come up here from Denver and the rap scene here is super close knit. So we just kind of like you just hear about it when there's someone popping up and she had come through. She had done a guest verse on a Mike McClon, who's one of the Doomtree members mixtape. And then she had just rolled through to a, a POS video shoot that I had made the beat for, um, where there was just rappers hanging out, like classic rap video, right? Um, and so we just kind of had been introduced, but then it was a Twitter thing, man. Like she straight up tweeted into the world, and she was the one who taught me about the power of like saying things out loud and and saying what you want into the world. But she straight up just tweeted like, I wish I could afford an at Laserbeak beat. She had heard my um, Lava Bangers album, which was just like a kind of a beat tape. And I got that and I was just in the right place, right time where I had pretty much just been working with Doomtree artists. And I was ready to just kind of like try something a little outside of my wheelhouse. And I think I just said, like, you know, it really doesn't cost that much. Like, buy me a six-pack of Mike's Hard Lemonade or something. And then within, like, 15 minutes, my my friend Ryan Olson, who is, like, kind of a behind-the-scenes genius savant, uh, he's, like, he's a co-writer in Polisa. He started gangs. He's done work with, like, Bon Iver and all sorts of people. Um, he hopped in and was like, I want in. Like, let me help in however I can. And then a week, flash forward a week later... Lizzo gets off the bus at Ryan's apartment and she's already got a couple songs to some of the beats on that B tape. But he's knocked it out. And it was, that was that. Like, it was just like, okay, I guess we're working now, you know? And then we spent a winter making a record, dropped it, and and it took off. Uh, how did, uh, has her brand changed uh, at all from that time period when you Man, started working with her early on to now? I think that it's just gotten, I think she's just gotten more sure of what her brand is. You know, that was a very, that was her first real like solo album, right? So she's just learning 
what it one what it's like to put together a full project where it's her as the front person and kind of learning how to become more confident in her beliefs and and what she wants to put out there and the messaging so i think i think it just got more like laser focused if if anything you know she was back then it was like we were just like just go like just spit you know like i'm sure in new york constantly right like just fucking rap for 120 bars and then whatever it'll be fine so obviously it's gotten more pinpointed in that pop world as she's gotten to work with bigger producers and things like that but no i think the I think the vision was always there. Like she, she always wanted to be. I mean, she's like she's from born in Houston. Like grew up on Beyonce. Like that was always the goal. And holy shit, five years later, it's happening. It's crazy. Because oh, are, are I always wonder when I ask folks, you know, when you recognize things in the moment, are you able to see a star mm. like at, at that time? Yeah, you know what I mean, was it just like, oh, that's Lizzo. That's my that's my girl. You know, or were you able to see like? Oh, yo, I think she could be a star, star, star. It's, it's a little bit of both. I try not to gas myself up in that kind of way because you never know. And, and you can be right and you can be wrong and whatever. And honestly, we don't see something like this coming out of Minnesota that often. Like we see people get national success or, or extreme regional success. But we don't see something like this that often where, you know, she is the thing in the entire world right now. Um, like that's a moment, right? Um, so has it brought back more attention to uh, Minneapolis as a whole to the scene? I think so. I mean, you know, she's been in LA for quite a while and I think that, um, you know, she had, it's not like she was born and raised here in Minneapolis. So she was here. It was definitely where she kind of, she, she she broke and she she reps reps hard. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I've absolutely, you know, it's it's helpful for sure. And, and I'm all for anyone ever shouting out this town or whatever. Like it's, that's that's all I try to do, and it's just so much. So, yeah, I think, you know, in the city, we're – it's a very Midwestern thing, but especially a Minnesotan thing. Like, we fucking ride or die for our own. Like, if you re- if you stick with us, like, we will fucking anoint you, uh, you know? And I tell that to anyone that's even here. I'm like, just go play a show in North Dakota and come back, and we will love you for that. Like, we will – we get so geeked about anyone that is from here that gets famous or comes back here or talks about us, like – I don't know what that is really, but it's probably just because we're so used to being slept on that we're like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. we're like, rah, rah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so it's just been funny because I now, I now manage and produce for um, Sophia Aris, who is Lizzo's DJ. Okay. So I'm like five years later after that Lizzo Bangers record, I'm like back in Lizzo world because I'm, I'm with Sophia and we're working on her kind of debut record with our, um, my producer friend Bionic and you know, she's out on the road with Lizzo. So I'm like, you know, on all the tour manager emails and all that stuff. It's just, it's funny how full circle it's, it's become. Um, but God, what a crazy thing, dude. Like five, I've been, I've been tripping out because, you know, when the first kind of big magazine articles were popping, they were, they would call me to get the, like, what was it like when, you know? And so I've been able to go on this like memory lane thing in my, channeling it through my own life too like holy shit i just had those kids and blah 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 and think about all that's changed even just for me in those five years on a totally separate course um and i think i'm just okay so i'm gonna be 37 how old are you i'm 31 oh shit so i think maybe this is coming for you in the next five years or maybe i'm just like thanks bro like by the way no no no, this is not bad this is not bad i'm i'm into it and i might just be like a softy um but I've gotten really, and it might be the kids thing too, but I've gotten really um, like sentimental and nostalgic in my late thirties. Like, and really like even some shit that happened three years ago, I was just like, Oh, remember that? Like, (laughs) Oh yeah. Like, I don't know what it is, but I'm just in that moment of like really appreciating the past. And so this is right up my alley. Like all this Lizzo stuff. I'm like, Oh yeah. Wow. Um, so anyways, I, I I don't know if that's just me or if that's kind of like part of this this age, but um but it's been fun. It's been cool to be get to an age where I can really reflect back and be like, yo, I've done some cool shit. Like I've been grinding at this thing for a while. I don't think my grinding days are over by any means, but um but you know, the fruits of your labor, right? Like no and that those fruits might not be like the the state fair winning fucking pumpkin or whatever, but like they're your fruits. They're your fucking fruits. 
You know what? Let, let's we're gonna we're gonna jump ship a little bit. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Because now we want I want to talk to you about your podcast. You were just oh telling my me. God. Now I feel like I, I know, I'm jumping on, on board. We're man. on silent giants, and <laughs> I feel like now we're gonna have like a segue into OPP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, but, I love it. Tell me about uh, you know why'd you get into podcasting and oh. tell me about your podcast, man. Well, I'm just trying to be like you, man. No, I just have been come inspired on. by um, no, I am a very reluctant podcaster. I was basically again through. It sounds like everything I do is because people hit me at, on Twitter, but I have had a. I've kind of been the voice of Doomtree. I'm like the voice of the Doomtree newsletter. Let's say, uh, like eight years ago. We had gotten a new website with the idea being that everyone was going to have a day. There's seven of us. This is how I remember it. Other guys will say, like, this never happened. But I clearly remember we were like, everyone's going to pick a day. And we're just going to, this website is going to have content every day. You just say whatever the fuck you want. That Pick your day and that'll be that every week. So I picked Tuesdays with Laserbeak. And I was the only one that ended up actually doing it. And so Tuesdays with Laserbeak, instead of just being about like what movie I saw or whatever song I liked, slowly became the way that we roll out all of our news, most of our song premieres, album announcements. Like it's just kind of a way for our people to directly interact from the source. So it's kind of become my weird like pen pal thing. But as we got, it's 2019, blogs are dead. Um, and a lot of the younger fans were like, why don't you just do this on a podcast? That'd be so much tighter. And I fought that for two years. Like, Man, I don't want to fucking... <sighs> Another thing to do. Yes. Yes. And I don't want to learn how to do it. And I don't want to like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. And I don't get to like, <laughs> and I don't get to stop the blog because I can't just stop. Then the people that read the blog are going to be like, but what about the blog? And I'm just like, fuck. Um, but, but with the blog, you could just post it on the blog. I know, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. So anyways, begrudgingly, at the towards the end of last year, um, this woman, Jacob Maldonado, hit me on Twitter, and she's an assistant producer at uh, Minnesota Public Radio. And so she went to actually went to school for like journalism, but like a podcasting division of journalism okay. or whatever. So she's like a podcaster. Um, and she was like, man, I would produce the hell out of a Tuesdays with Laserbeak episode. And then people like started being like, yeah, what the fuck? Why isn't there one? And so I finally, I was like, and then she just straight up hit me and was like, well, it's on you now. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like served me. And I was like, shit, I have literally, I'm out of excuses. And um, so I met with her for coffee and she was like, I'll, I'll do it. You just have to talk. And, and I was like, well, then you're going to fucking talk with me. So she's my co-host. Awesome. She also produces it. And you know, what started as just like the talking version of the blog is now been really eye-opening for me as like uh i get to uh, we were talking about this before we started but like i'm used to being interviewed and to flip it is so uh there's so much joy in that for me like to be able to deep dive into somebody else and really learn about their process as an artist myself who has now taken on more of the business stuff it's a way for me to like um kind of go back to my roots and like be inspired to to create art by learning how other people create art. Um, and so it's been awesome. We've had like, I think we're going to drop our sixth one shortly and it's just a monthly thing. Um, and it's been, I'm glad I got my arm twisted. I'll say that. Amazing. And you know, I still have my seed. Like I'm shaky. I'm still learning. We're still learning, but there's no pressure. Cause whatever the fuck, like, why is there any pressure? We're not trying to like do that for, a, I'm not trying to make my monthly podcast, my, my source of like annual income, you know what I'm right. saying? So there's like a freedom in just being like, and in a weird way, it's like, it's making me feel closer to my community. So far we've really only interviewed like local musicians. I hope that that we can go outside of that eventually, but it's been a cool way to like actually offer a platform for artists especially as we really need anything we can get to stretch the cycle of our albums and stuff. Which is something that's always been a part of your brand, right? right? Your, your your entire brand has been creating platforms yes. for artists and you're just doing it in a different so way. So now here's a new, here's a new way. And right. I think, and I didn't foresee that I thought I would be, I would be having to twist people's arm to come on and like, it would be a hassle for everyone, but everyone's been like, yeah, you want me to come on and promote my shit and talk about myself. Cool. Before I get out of here, B, yeah. uh, I, I want to ask, the, the same question for every interview of Silent Giants. Okay. And I've been so blessed and fortunate to meet so many amazing individuals uh, who have all achieved amazing things uh, in their career. Uh, I had the great opportunity of interviewing uh, Bruce Swedeen, who, you know Bruce Swedeen? 
He's Minnesota guy, right? Minnesota dude. Yeah. He recorded all of Michael Jackson's yes. music. He was like Quincy yeah, yeah, Jones's yeah. dude. Yeah, yeah. He, he's legend. Uh, yeah, his studio was over on Nicolette. No shit. Right. It's like right. It, it's still there. Okay. Uh, it's right across from Ice House. Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yes, I know what you're talking about. It's like a low key. Like you got to kind of know it's right. There, you have to know right? it's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but when this question popped into my mind when I met him and got a chance to interview him. Uh, as I saw all of his Grammys and I got to hold the Grammy oh, for Thriller and all the Grammys on the wall. And uh, I realized, man, he sacrificed a lot to be in this position, mm. right? And we want to be great the same way that we want to uh, start a label, but we don't yeah. know how to do it. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. You know, but we all want to be great. And we're all in this pursuit of greatness, but we have to sacrifice something. Yeah. What was your greatest sacrifice to be great? Whew. Every question you ask this to everybody, Every, yeah. God, everybody. Is there like a thirty-minute pause? <laughs> uh, I edited. <laughs> that's such a good question. I don't want to fuck that one up. Uh, <laughs> man, I mean, ah, sacrifice is such a tough one. It's such. A, I feel like there's such a negative connotation with that word, you know. But I, uh, can I do a sideways answer? Of course. I feel like I gave my life for this, um, so I didn't sacrifice it because it's it's what I wanted. And, um, but, but I did like to get what I wanted. Um, I gave it my all and I'm still doing that and I didn't half ass it. And, and so, you know, maybe I sacrificed some, um, some just like time and peace of mind and, and a little, um, more laid back lifestyle in order to, to really do this. Um, you know, I definitely sacrificed time with my family, uh, which I wish, which I'm working on, not doing in the future um i wish i could get back in the past but um man fuck i know that i'm gonna text <laughs> you in like 20 minutes and be like oh I, I have a better answer for that but you know like you kind of <sighs> cheesy as it is i feel like i sacrificed it all and it's i'm so happy well, i did you I, know? Thought, I thought the first thing you said was was poignant like i gave my life to this yeah like that's have it. like you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah I, I think it's something to be said about when you are uh, this is not a job. Right. You know what I'm saying? This is everything that we do. This room that we're in is something, this room that we're in right now, the music that you make. Yeah. You know what I mean? The show that you give, the podcast that you make. Yes. It's all a manifestation of things that are in your mind. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes, man. You totally. I, I mean, know? and I geek out on it because like I still am tied to the the mindset of the seventh grader, like me in my bedroom with a notebook, like writing out a fake set list of the first show that I'm going to play. Like I can still go back and remember times where I had no fucking idea what was actually going to be like. And now I can be like, Hey little kid, this is what playing a show feels like. This is what like putting out a record feels like, or this is what like, um, providing an, a source of income for a different artist feels like, or, you know, getting those like wins where like, you know, it's just like, um, Again, man, you caught me in the right time of my life to be like all sentimental about this shit. But yeah, man, like I can feel it. And I think as a father too, I'm not like, I'm feeling all the feels about different generations and I can see myself as the kid and as the father and as the whatever. But um, again, I'm happy to get to this age to really be able to reflect and find the beauty in the struggle because we're so busy in the struggle oftentimes that we don't get a chance to realize how kind of incredible the whole shit is in the first place that we even have this willpower to like put ourselves through hell to try to get these things that we just desperately desire um sometimes you just got to stop and breathe and like recognize the where you were and how far you've come doesn't mean that you're at the end but like i just think it's so important to to take stock of the wins you know so this is a win for me dude like i'm at a level where you get to you roll through minneapolis and you're like yo i'm coming through yo coming let's through, dog. <laughs> let's you know what I'm do this well, you know? I, I call minneapolis my home away from home away from home uh, i love it i love <laughs> it well you're always welcome here man we got you all day and i wish i could go to the bar and watch the fucking raptors Warriors i know game. i know i know <laughs> i invite you out to, to watch the game tonight but it's all good. But, I'll be back here. Okay, I'll be back yeah, here again. Absolutely. And we're going to do a we'll big do it all over. I'll get we'll you get, on my podcast. We'll we'll twins podcast. Game. Yeah, there you go. There you go, dude. But, but Beat Man, first of all, thank you so much for, for you know, always putting creativity and your passion first, but putting on your city, representing something hey. bigger than yourself. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? I yes, think it shows a lot of selflessness about you. It feels good to be in your hometown and be with the man who who just is holding shit hey, down over here. You know what I mean? Like, I need you around more often, man. Yeah. You can be like my hype man. Like Dude, my, I'm my like office Khaled, hype bro. man. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like low-key Khaled. I'll have meetings at the office and you just kind of be in the corner. Yes. Like, yeah, you tell him, B. Yes. Tell him. But I appreciate you, man. Oh, Thank dude. you so much for welcoming to your city. And Absolutely. You're the Anytime, man, brother. man. Best of luck with all this shit. It's great to see you shining. You're the man, brother. All right. Thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of the Silent Giants podcast and to our special guest, Laserbeak. This episode was mixed by Mark Bird. And before we get out of here, be sure to check out my other show, OPP. Other People's Podcast is the TRL of podcasting. Every week, I interview America's top podcasters to learn more about them and the dope shows they created. I have the link for you in the description of this episode. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Pod bless y'all. Till next time. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.